This lady, the blonde lady, I see you right there. Oh, send your husband. Yeah, yeah, make him come up. Give him a hand. You get popcorn in church. Woo! You can actually grab that one right there. There's a, there, that one right there is the, and it's buttered. So if you're like, oh, I don't, I'm on a diet, then give it to somebody else. This is so bad for you, but it will make you feel so good. Anything this bad, it makes you feel, yeah, okay. All right, I got another one, though. Who wants this one? Raise your hand, raise your hand. First time here, raise your hand. It's your very first time. You, sir, blue shirt, come on down. All right. Let me give that to him. Thank you so much for coming to Joy Church. I just thought, hey, we haven't given away any popcorn yet, and we're at a movie theater. And uh, if you want to share, like, with your row, feel free to share with your row. I bought some popcorn for my kids the first week we were here, and, and it was the best thing in the whole world. I was carrying a big box, and it was sitting right in front of me, so I was like, doing that thing. <laughs> you stick your tongue in there. Anyways, we're uh, so glad to have you here. Uh, thanks for coming out on this wonderful Sunday. You having a good summer? Good to hear. So we're finishing up today our series called I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And how many of you have enjoyed this series of messages, gotten something out of it? Uh, we're just looking at the reality that in our culture, uh, there's so much dissatisfaction. Even though we live in this very affluent, well-off, well-connected culture, there's a very high level of dissatisfaction. And if you need proof of this, you just go to Facebook and find some of your friends, and I guarantee you they're complaining about their body or complaining about their, their career, or complaining about their boss, complaining about their wife or their husband, they're complaining about their house or something. But there's this very high level of dissatisfaction. But Jesus said this in, in the Bible. He said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And so we've been talking about how Jesus, his purpose is to connect you with the best answer for you to be satisfied in life. And I say this every week, but I'm not going to give you three life hacks. You can get those from Oprah or Dr. Phil. I want to point us back to the reality that only the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to transform you from the inside out and truly satisfy you, okay? So as a, as a pastor, like, disclaimer, you get popcorn, but I'm going to preach the gospel. Is that cool with you? And uh, John chapter 14, Jesus said, or John chapter 6, rather, verse 35, he said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus wants to satisfy your soul. I believe today that as you leave here, you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be inspired. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. I believe you're going to hear the message of Jesus and, and God's going to do something in your life. You are not here by accident. You've been drawn to this place. And when you come, you might get free popcorn. So win-win, right? Win-win. But God is, is going to do something powerful. And today I want to share a message with you called Satisfied in Who You Are. And I want to talk about self-image. I want to talk about self-worth. This is one of these topics that maybe doesn't always come to the forefront of a, of a problem in our culture, a problem even in ourselves. But how we view ourselves is tremendously important, and it affects uh, really everything that goes on in our life, everything that, that goes on in our life, how we see ourselves and how we sort of interact with God's perspective of us or our perspective of us. And uh, today's going to be a little different. Like normally I'd preach a message and then pray and we'd all go home. But today we're going to finish up with some more worship. And we're going to, I really believe that the Lord was speaking to me that today is not just meant to be an intellectual uh, transmission. It's meant to be a prophetic, prophetic impartation in that God wants to touch you in your, the heart level, the soul level, not just in your head. All right. Put your hand on your heart real quick and say, God, touch my heart. God, 
Change my life. Cool, thank you. You know, I spent many years of my life, I spent a tremendous amount of my life battling severe insecurity about my physical appearance. Uh, I'm actually in fairly decent shape. I'm in the best shape of my life, but I had that awkward phase between 10 and 30 that many of us go through. And uh, yeah, thank you for laughing. But anyways, it, it kind of started, I've told this story before, but I was a little kid and I was down in Medford where I grew up and I was in Bear Creek Park and it's this big wooden play structure. And I remember hiding one time and I think I had some pretty awesome 90s clothes on, like a hot pink shirt, some hammer pants. I literally owned those, Judah. Where you yeah, so I, I had some hammer pants. I could loan them to you if I still could find them. And I remember kind of hiding in the playground and this little kid came up and they said to me these words that really stuck with me. They said, are you a boy or are you a girl? And it hit me, they can't tell. Now, I thought, looking back as an adult, I realized maybe they were just being mean. Maybe they could tell, but maybe not. But, but at that moment in my life, this battle with insecurity began, where I began to be self-conscious about how I looked. Is my chest too big? You know, guys aren't supposed to have boobs. Like, that's not the same thing, right? Hear, you know what I'm saying? If you're like 50 or 60 pounds, real talk, like, I had moves, you know what I mean? And I was embarrassed to take my shirt off in front of people, and I was... Embarrassed, and I always would wear big baggy clothes, and, and, and I, was, I battled this insecurity with my appearance. Anybody else battled insecurity with your appearance, the body image, just how you see yourself? And, you know, that played into personal insecurity, that internally, um, as a pastor even, as a, as a uh, in ministry, I'd be insecure. Oh, maybe I'm not as good of a speaker as this person, or maybe I'm not as good of a singer, or maybe people won't like me, or I feel uncomfortable around people that I think are better at me in the areas that I'm trying to be good at. And I battled this deep insecurity for many, many years. Uh, it had to do with my self-image, but not just how my physical body appeared. Because I want to open this up, that if you have image issues, that a lot of times it's not about how you look. It actually might just be about you as a person, right? Oh, I'm not smart, or I'm, I'm not uh, quick on the uptake. I don't get the jokes that everybody else laughs at. Like, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not funny or however that, whatever that is, or maybe you just feel insecure in who you are. I believe the Lord wants to, to change you. And so I, I battled insecurity at these different levels for many, many years. And then later on in life, and I would say probably as recently as just a few years ago, I really began to apply the gospel, the message of Jesus, the message that God saves sinners, but this message that Jesus Christ died on the cross and, 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 and offered us life, Right? Uh, that's the gospel of salvation, but the gospel touches us at so many different levels. I began to apply the gospel to this area of self-image and say, Jesus gave his life to me. There, there has to be some value there that God wanted to, to give Jesus for. Do you hear what I'm saying? Uh, there had to be something there. Why did, why did Jesus lay his life down for me? And I began to apply the gospel in this area, and there began to be freedom. Chains began to break off of my thinking, break off of my life. And I remember at one point I was at the pool or something and I took my shirt off and I still, you know, I look like Sasquatch, I'm hairy, I was overweight, and I said, I don't care anymore. I'm going to go swimming with my kids. And I was free from this fear and terror and trepidation revolved around my appearance, okay? But I was still overweight, but I, but I was free internally. My thinking had been shifted. You know what I'm talking about? And I jumped in the pool and, and had a good time and, and, and it sort of ended. And then all of a sudden, guess what happened? There was freedom in my thinking. I wasn't worried about how I appeared. And then I thought, you know, being heavy, I just don't want to be heavy because I want to be healthy. I want to spend more time with my family. And all of a sudden, I was able to lose a bunch of weight and correct something that I would have given my left ear for 
All those years, you know what I'm saying? I got free in my thinking and all of a sudden things began to shift and I actually was able to lose weight and get these positive changes. I want to say to you today that when you get a godly perspective, a gospel-focused perspective of yourself, you can change how you appear. But not when it's the main thing in your life that drives everything. Right? If it's the main thing, then it's like that red button effect. Oh, I'm too heavy, I'm too heavy, I'm too heavy, I'm too heavy. Oh, ice cream, right? And and it's like, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. And and you become fixated and it actually creates bondages. But when you get free and you begin to have a gospel-centered perspective of yourself and you begin to see how God sees you, you can actually get free from insecurity about your physical appearance, about your internal makeup, all of it, all the above, okay? And... I had this revelation on this journey dealing with insecurity. And I'm not like, like, I still have insecurity. I'm not saying that I have no insecurity. No, I still battle it at times. But the gospel looms large in my thinking about insecurity. When I start thinking about myself, I realize, no, I don't need to think about me. I need to think about Jesus and what he did for me and what, uh, what's really important in life. And I had this revelation that insecurity is pride in disguise. You see, when you're looking at how bad you are, you're still looking at you. Oh, I'm so fat. Oh, I'm so skinny. Oh, I got chicken legs. Oh, I don't like my chest. I don't like my arms. I don't like it when I wave and then my arm keeps waving 10 minutes later. You know? Yeah. Bye, Grandma. Bye, honey. You know, we don't... Sorry. You know, but I had this revelation that insecurity is pride in disguise because... What I've done is I've said my view, my vision of of things, my ability to judge is accurate and I actually have placed myself above God. I've said, God, it's not really your opinion that matters, it's what I think. And I want to think badly about myself and that's what I'm going to go with. That's pride. Pride is when you are the center of the universe. Let me give you some free advice. The world does not revolve around you, right? The world does not revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me. How many of you woke up today and thought, oh, I wonder what Pastor Jake's going to wear today? <laughs> you didn't. You didn't care. But how many of you thought, I wonder what I'm going to wear today, right? I was in my closet, like, trying on multiple shirts. My daughter, my four-year-old daughter is like, I had to get free of insecurity because she just lets me have it. No, Dad, I don't like that shirt, Dad. Your shirt looks like you have mermaid tails, Dad. Why are you wearing that shirt? I'm like, fine, I'll change. Gosh, you know, can you just go to bed, you know? You have boogers on your face, you know? She's four and she's critiquing how I'm dressing. But I was thinking about how I was going to appear. And you were thinking about you, but I didn't think about you, what you were going to wear. I didn't come to church like, I wonder what Matt, what jeans he wore today. You know, I didn't do that because I was focusing on myself. We tend to spend most of our time thinking about, fixated on, revolving around ourselves. But hey, guys, the world doesn't revolve around us, right? Other people don't really care that much about how you look. You know what they care about? the love that you show, the grace that you exhibit? Is there a smile? Do, do, you, do you lift other people up and encourage them? Those are the things that really impact us about each other. We love each other. You know what I'm saying? And I hate it when my wife is dogging on herself. Well, I don't like how I look. I hate that. How many of you hate it when somebody else that you care about, that you love, is just bashing themselves? Guys, when your wife is like, I look terrible, and you're like, you don't, you're amazing, right? And they're like, you're a liar. <laughs> this has never happened to me. You can tell I don't have any... Let me ask you this question. Who are you to be critical of God's creation? You say, well, it's my body. Did you make yourself? Because I think the Bible has a different opinion about this. Did, did you bring yourself into existence? Or can you prolong your life indefinitely into immortality and never, never die? So do you really own yourself? Are you really 
the right opinion? Or do you think the Creator probably has the right vision and right thoughts about you? Insecurity is pride in disguise. What standard are we judging by? What standard are we using? Oh, I'm supposed to be 185 pounds, not 195 pounds. That's arbitrary, right? It's like watching Olympic gymnastics. I love the Olympics, but I watched like the gymnastics, and here the girls are doing like nine backflips, and the judges are like, cha, two one-hundredths of a point deduction because your foot went one inch to the left. I'm like, everything they're doing is incredible. What standard are you judging these people by, right? Or figure skating. Somebody like skates at 30 miles an hour, does nine twirls in the air, and they're like, ah, your left skate bent just slightly to the left. You're going, what the heck? Who invented these standards, right? It's purely arbitrary. And that's how we judge ourselves. Or we look at somebody else. We look at a magazine or a TV, or we look at a person that we go to church with, and we say, well, they're the standard for me. No, they're not. They're not. That standard does not exist. It's an illusion. Your standard is, who did God make you to be? Are you being faithful to who He made you to be internally, not fixated and focused on how you look? That's just pride. It's vanity. And I realized for myself that all these years of insecurity were really vanity, really pride. That I I felt like I had to live up to a certain standard, or I didn't want to feel a certain way. Therefore, I thought if my physical appearance, and you guys know the battle, don't you? You know the drill, that we get locked into these cycles of thoughts and and thinking about it. Let me give you three thoughts, three truths about self-image this morning. Number one, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't have time to go into all of this, but I want to read you a scripture and just hammer this thought into your head a little bit today. It says in Psalms 139, verse 13, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. God's perspective of you is this. My child, don't listen to the lies of the world outside of you, the external critic. Don't listen to the voice inside. Those are illusions. They're lies. They're arbitrary standards. I made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The designer of the stars and the galaxies and DNA and atoms and quarks and everything that we see and everything that we can't even see in our physical world is an incredible, masterful artist and craftsman, and he made you. Who are you to critique, to judge, to stand in the seat of the judge or or, or to stand up in the place of the judge and say, I'm no good, I don't measure up. No, no, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Number two, God can't use us until we get over ourselves. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, and you have to connect with that reality. And God, He can't really use you to be a blessing to the world until you get over yourself, okay? My insecurity stopped me from being the man that God called me to be. Do you realize that to stand up in front of a couple hundred people uh, and preach or sing songs or whatever, uh, I'm actually an introvert. I don't really, I recharge by myself, not with a bunch of people. I had to be broken of insecurity before God could use me in the capacity that He wanted to use me in. I had to get over myself before God could use me, before he could deploy me. There was a guy 
named Gideon in the Bible. He was, you can read his story in the book of Judges. And in uh, Judges, um, I didn't write down the chapter, but, but I'm going to tell you a little bit of the story, just kind of break it down. Midian had taken over Israel and, and Judah, and, uh, and they were in captivity. And it says here that the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. And Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord came to him and said, and listen to this phrase, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Hey guys, how'd you like it if your wife waked you up in the morning like that? <laughs> mighty hero, time to wake up. I don't know why your wife sounds like a lumberjack, but anyways. <laughs> mighty hero. Like, if your wife waked you up in the morning with those words, you just like get out of bed like, yeah. And the angel comes. It's the angel of the Lord. It's a pre-incarnate Christ. Okay? A pre, it's God coming. The angel of the Lord. That's what that means. He's coming, and he says, Gideon, almighty hero, the Lord is with you. And then he gives him this challenge, this, this vision, this mission to go. And Gideon's like, well, no, no. And, and, and he comes back, and, and in verse 14, the Lord said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites, I'm sending you. So this is like awesome. It's the beginning of a superhero movie where God's going to come in and give Gideon this mission. And, and listen to Gideon's response in, verse, response in verse 15. Gideon says, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And then he does that thing where he goes, and I am the least in my entire family, like the puberty voice thing, you know, when you're, when you're scared. And, and I'm the least in my entire family. And Gideon says, these are all the reasons why you can't use me. Did you know that this is what insecurity does? Oh God, you know, my family, we're a bunch of alcoholics. So you can't use me. Well, God, I'm too fat. You can't use me. God, I'm too skinny. You can't use me. God, I, I don't know how to talk. God, I, I, I'm too embarrassed. I'm not, God, I'm an introvert. God says, no mighty hero. Get a different perspective of yourself and it changes everything. But God can't use you until you get over yourself. You have to leave that position of the judge and be humble enough to receive God's perspective of you. God's perspective of you. The angel of the Lord says, I will be with you. Did you know that everything changes when God is on your team? When God is with you? It doesn't matter how weak you are, how fat, how skinny, how intellectually bright you are. It does not matter if God is with you. Because if God is with you, then anything is possible. Come on. If God is with you, and he says, you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. In other words, when God is on your side, the fight becomes really doable. The battle becomes winnable. Everything changes when God is with you because it's not about you and I. It's not about us. It's about God's power and God's glory and God's purposes in our life. And again, it's pride in disguise. Insecurity stops. It, it says, no, God, you can't use me. I'm not good enough. Let me just challenge you today that never let insecurity get in the way of what God wants to do with you. I believe that inside of people in this room are locked world-changing visions. I believe that the that locked inside your mind, your heart, there's incredible world-changing visions, what we call GSVs, God-sized visions. Visions that are, yes, they're impossible uh, in your own strength, but they are very possible with God on your side. There's world-changing, community-altering, family, destiny-defining uh, moments and visions inside of you that God wants to unlock, but He has to break through that insecurity to be able to use you. And today's your day of freedom. Come on. Yeah. 
God wants to impart something in your spirit. I believe that as you leave here today, that you're going to say, I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I belong to him. And when he's with me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. All right. Don't let insecurity get in the way of what God wants to do inside of your life. Number three, third truth about self-image. Time spent hating yourself, disliking yourself, critiquing yourself, is still time spent on yourself. See, we often think we get a pass for being self-centered if we're being self-negative. That's still being self-centered. Whether you're self-positive and you're just, I'm the greatest, you know. No, that's another side of pride. But, or I'm the worst. You're still spent spending time on yourself. C.S. Lewis said, you know the quote was coming from C.S. Lewis, if I'm speaking. True humility is not, thinking of, is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. St. Francis of Assisi, he said, Above all, the grace and the gifts that Christ gives to his beloved is that of overcoming self. Your worst enemy is not the devil. Your worst enemy is you. Because you're in your head all the time. And you trust yourself. Think about that for a second. When your thought comes and says, you don't look good today. You can't be who God's called you to be. You trust yourself, but you shouldn't. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can even know how bad it is? There's a a desperate wickedness inside, a a, a liar inside that voice. We don't listen to that voice. We need to go overcome self and listen to the voice of God. I need to apply a gospel perspective to my self-image. A gospel perspective. Listen to this phrase right here, and, and if you take nothing else away from today, take this away. The gospel takes the focus off of me and puts it where it needs to be. The gospel takes the focus off of me and puts it where it needs to be on Jesus. Did you know that when we focus on Jesus, it doesn't matter how we look. When we focus on Jesus, it doesn't matter what we've done or where we've been or what kind of life we've had or what our qualifications are. When we focus on Jesus, everything comes together. The gospel brings us uh, away from ourselves. It says, stop looking at your goodness, your badness. Stop looking at what's wrong with you, what's right with you. All of those things added up don't equal 1% of what God can do with you. Let all that stuff go. Get your mind off yourself. Get it on Christ. The gospel takes the focus off of me. Good, bad, doesn't matter. Takes it off of me and puts it where it needs to be on Jesus. Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus, we are called to die to ourselves. And we always think that means we'll die to my agenda, die to my my wishes and my desires and die to my sinfulness. Actually, it just means everything about you. Good, bad, all of it has to die. It goes to the cross. When a, when a Christian gets baptized, you hear people talk about this. They say, well, it means their sins are being washed away. That's not what it means. Baptism represents burying somebody. So like, imagine if somebody dies, you don't leave them in the living room. Like, hey, Grandma, could you change the channel? We don't do that, right? If you do that, you need some prayer, you know? We don't do that. Why? Because death, it goes in the ground. When you are dead and rotten and lost in sin like we are without Jesus, and when you die and you get new life, 
We say, no, you're buried. The old self is dead. The insecurity is gone. The sin is gone. It's buried. You don't live that way anymore. That's not who you are anymore. You are a new creation and all things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Let me tell you right now that if Christ lives in you, Jesus is not insecure. Jesus does not care how he looks. Jesus hung butt naked on a cross. And took all the shame and sin of the world to accomplish his mission. He is not insecure about how he looks. He is not insecure. The Bible says he, was, he had no form or comeliness. Uh, he, he was not good looking. He was not an image guy. He didn't have the latest fashions. He wasn't walking in a silk robe like, sup. He didn't have his like Birkenstock sandals. You know what I mean? Name brand. Jesus didn't care about that because that was not the defining mark of what made him who he was to be. Come on. I was crucified with Christ. He lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6.11, you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Listen to this in the message translation in Galatians 6.14. For my part, I'm going to boast about nothing but the cross of our Master, Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, I have been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. Come on, do you want to be free today? From the stifling atmosphere of comparison, fitting in, uh, looking a certain way and dressing a certain way and affording a certain brand and driving a certain car and having a certain house and finding self-worth and satisfaction in those things? No, the gospel will come and set you free. Jesus' power will set you free from that stifling atmosphere. Can't you see... Paul says the central issue in all this, it's not what you and I do. Submit to circumcision, reject circumcision. It's what God is doing. And He is creating something totally new. A free life. A free life. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. I came to give you a rich and satisfying life. You're not going to find satisfaction trying to measure up. You're only going to find satisfaction when you stop trying to measure up and you put your affection and your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ. And you allow His image, Him inside of you to be the, the thing that you measure yourself by. He says, all who walk by this standard are the true Israel of God, His chosen people, peace and mercy on them. As we close today, I just want to say that God wants to answer two significant questions in your life. The first one is the question of identity. It's the question, who am I? The second question is the question of destiny. Why am I here? Who am I? And why am I here? Jesus tells a story about a, a son that took his inheritance and went and wasted it all on prostitutes and drunkenness. And he, he went and he thought that what happened in Las Vegas stayed in Las Vegas. You know, he went out and he lived prodigal living, the Bible calls it. And then all of a sudden he comes to himself and he says, in my father's house, even the servants are, are better off than I am because he'd lost everything and he was just feeding pigs and trying to eat what the pigs ate. And he goes back to his father, and the father doesn't rebuke him or reject him. Actually, he runs to him and he grabs him, and the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son, but can I be a servant? And he says, no, you can't be a servant. You are my son. My little boy Jack is two years old, and I've talked about this before, but at night, especially when he was in his crib and he couldn't fight back, I'd put my hand on his chest, and I would say, you're my son. 
in that voice right there. And you go, man, you're a freaky dad. No, no, no. You know, if you have son, dads and, and sons, right? You know, like, gotta, this would be a little bit of heart in it, you know? You're my son. You know why? Because I want Jack to know that he has identity in his relationship with his father. And that father looked at that son in the story Jesus said and said, you're not a servant, you're a son. Go kill the fatted calf. Go get the best robe. Here's my ring. You are restored to your identity. You are not coming to Christ just as a servant. You are brought in as an heir according to the promise. You are brought in as a son or a daughter. You are royalty in God. Come on, somebody. Your identity, who you are, is not just a servant. We serve. Sons and daughters serve. Come on. I serve hard. We work hard, right? We come in and set up all the service. That's why we need people to come and be a servant, right? On Sunday mornings. But we don't do that because, oh, I'm just a servant. That's all I am. No, I do it because I'm a son of God. I'm a son. Uh, You can be a son or a daughter. That is your identity. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, we may also be glorified together. Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The category that we come into in Christ is a son or a daughter. It's our identity. Who am I? You're a son or a daughter of God. Number two, this question of destiny, why am I here? You're here because you were created for relationship with God and you were commissioned to make disciples of Jesus. Created for relationship and commissioned to make disciples. Not only do we have intrinsic purpose on the inside, created for relationship with God, but we have extrinsic purpose. We have external purpose that we are to go into the world as ambassadors of God's love and mercy and grace. I wake up every morning and I thank God that I'm created to relate to you. I'm your son. I get to enjoy your presence. I get to enjoy your blessings. But guess what? I also get to get put my big boy pants on and go out into the world and preach the gospel and live the gospel and spread God's kingdom around the world. I have purpose. My destiny, why I am here, created for relationship, but commissioned to make disciples. 1 Peter 2.9 You are a chosen generation, Peter says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Identity and destiny. Identity and destiny. Who am I? Why am I here? God wants to speak to your heart this morning. Now, if you will, in the last couple minutes, we're just going to begin to worship. You know, our church, one of our central values is worship, which is recognizing the reality of God, worshiping Him with our lives. And I just want you to stand up, and I believe the Holy Spirit's going to come in this moment, and we're going to play some music, we're going to sing, and we're just going to take about 10 minutes of worship. And I'm going to be praying for you and ministering prophetically and singing over you, but I I want us to just open up our hearts because you don't need somebody to come put hands on you or do anything weird or anything like that. Uh, Not that that's weird, but I'm just saying you don't need anybody to come to you, but right here in this moment, you can have an encounter with your Father. And I believe right now that as we begin to sing and pray that in this atmosphere, uh, this moment of eternity, that God is going to break some things off of you. Insecurity that has been holding on to you for years and years and years and stopping you from being the person that God's called you to be is going to break in this moment. Let's lift up our hands. Let's begin to sing. Let's begin to pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. 
Lord, you are good. You are worthy of our praise. We worship you, Jesus.